Influence is everywhere. This show wouldn't exist if it weren't. Thanks for listening, guys. Love you all. But maybe one of these days we will solve the problem and I won't have to make this show anymore. Until then, we're going to keep chugging along. Because here's the truth about influence. We're bombarded with it constantly. And frankly, we are all exhausted by it. Our lives are being choreographed by forces that always want something from us. Mind-altering algorithms create our foundations and warp how we see the world. They manipulate our decisions, and frankly, they even dictate our beliefs. Yet, rarely do we question these everyday influences of our modern times, even as we go further down the path of being unwell, unhappy, and unhinged. That is the reason that I recently picked up the book Raising Hell, Living Well by Jessica Elefante. See, every once in a while, a book just smacks you in the face, like the first time that you watched the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and you're like, oh my god, I love this, and I love Matthew Broderick, and I just want to watch this a thousand times. I just want to read this book a thousand times. I highlighted, I underlined, I texted Jessica, who I didn't even know before this, to tell her how much I love this book. And now I want to shout it from the, the damn rooftops. Here's the thing. Jessica used to be a brand strategist and marketer. She was on the other side of this. Jessica actually helped brands create problems for us so that we would spend money with them to fix these fake problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jessica is now a reformed bullshit artist, much as I am a reformed celebrity journalist, and she wants to help you to see the bullshit, to quit the influence. She has gone from influence creator to influence fixer, and today we are lucky enough to have her walk us through what influence is and how we can one day overcome it. Hello. I stayed up really late last night uh, reading your book. I'm sorry about that. I hope you're not too tired. No, I mean, I'm really tired and it's your fault, but do not be sorry. I love this book. It is called Raising Hell and Living Well, Freedom from Influence in a World Where Everyone Wants Something from You. And it's out this week, so everyone needs to order it right now because it, it changed even this morning for me. Really? Yes. This book made my morning better. It made me commit to not mindlessly doing the scroll and also to use the phone for work and not for anything else. I got on. I made a reel about the Sicilian inheritance because I'm just I'm just a sales monster these days. <laughs> I'm a monster. And I posted it and I haven't picked up the phone since because... Like your words just had such a big impact on me. I t I want you to tell the audience what this book is about. In like, what's your elevator pitch? Yeah. Um. Well, first of all, thank you. That's really incredible to hear. It's you know you're one of my earlier readers, and so to hear how it's you know affecting people, it feels awesome to hear that. So thank you. Um. 
And yeah, so I was a, I mean, I was a sales monster. I was a master wheeler dealer. I, you know, joke that I was a bullshit artist, that I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a writer. But instead, um, I accidentally fell face first into a world of influencing people, persuading people, um, sometimes manipulating people on behalf of brands, businesses, you know, the companies I was working for. And when I finally realized the epic, you know, down the drain moment of what I had done to myself and the world around me, it was influence that was sitting at the crux of everything. And so this book is kind of like my apology letter, um, a bit of a confessional yeah. and really a, a critique on our current culture and on myself. And the whole hope is that if I can open a reader's eyes to influence that is around them, then they can choose to escape it if they want to. Yes, yes, and more, more yes. <laughs> I, I, I love that this is someone who created this, created this terrible thing, helped create this terrible thing, and wants to do an apology for it. I feel all the time that I should do that for the Kardashians. <laughs> Because I was a gossip columnist in the heyday of when they were created by the media machine. And look what look what that's done to the world. Yeah, I talked yeah. about them, um, you know, and I think it's the middle of the book of just how, you know, we are what we consume. Right. And I guess during the heyday of gossip magazines and early, you know, online TMZ and at the nexus of everyone having their own app, we were just all like kids excited about all this new shit that was being put down our throat but we none of us thought about the after effects i guess and maybe that's how we get a reality show president yeah no shit <laughs> i say i say it all the time i say donald trump is the president we deserved and i can say that as someone who covered him as a celebrity i then covered him as a politician and i i understand america's intense obsession and relationship with celebrities. And I i was not at all surprised that, no, he, no, that he won. I, no, neither was I. Yeah, I, I was sad. <laughs> I was really fucking sad. Um, but, you know, I there's a chapter in the book that I do kind of use him as like a masterclass in, you know, the art of persuasion. You know, he is uh, who he is because of his ability to bullshit his way through life. And so I try to hope and help the reader understand that like rationale and like being a rational person and knowing, you know, facts and data, it doesn't matter. And unfortunately, the unscrupulous people of the world that want to influence people to buy things or vote, you know, a certain way have figured out that those don't those things don't matter more than being triggered uh, through dopamine and our feelings, strong emotions. Truth, truth. I am I'm going to quote you back at you. I, I love I love it when people do that to me. And it always reminds me of that line in When Harry Met Sally, where Bruno Kirby says, no one's ever quoted me back to me. You write, my formerly plugged in, fast paced, tech based career gave me a unique perspective on the power of influence from the inside out. I knew it wasn't just algorithms and ads that were guiding our decisions, worldviews and self-perceptions, but practically everything in our culture was telling us to live a certain way stay online, never be satisfied. I decided to do something about it. I want you to define what you think influence is. 
Yeah. So I use it very broadly. I talk about it sort of in three different ways. There's your inner influence, your outer, your surface influence, sorry, and your outer world influence. And so to me, influence is um, anything that is pushing you in a specific direction. And that could be your religion. That could be something, you, you know, a value that your parents or your family have put on you. That could be literally an algorithm or a headline that wants you to click. But it's not inspiring you because people will, will challenge me and go, well, you know, you want to be, you know, inspirational. So, you know, inspiring versus influencing. The big difference to me is one is pointing you in a specific direction with a specific outcome. Some influences are fixed, some are insidious, and some just kind of live around us like the air we breathe. So if I was to take my inner world influences, um, I have, you know, it's the things you can't change. So it's your biology, right? It's the fact that, you know, I um, was born as the eldest daughter. These are in these influence who I am, right? And who I become. And then there's things that aren't fixed. So things that like the beliefs that, you know, my local community had me believing growing up or the education that I took in. So those things can change over time. And so when I think of influence, I really want people to just understand the motivations, um, of the influences around them. And sometimes it's not even a motivation. It's just the fact that it's, specifically pointing them in a direction to take an action of some sort. And one of the things that you write a lot about is that corporate America, and now largely through the use of influencers on social media, they create the problems that we think we need to be solving for. So they kind of put us in a catch-22 of, oh my gosh, you didn't know that you had this problem with your wellness, weight, or parenting, or breastfeeding, or sleeping, or sleep training, but you do. And so now let me sell you something so I can profit off your problem. For sure. And, you know, I feel bad um, pointing to, and I start at the very start of the book, like in, you know, I write a letter to the reader and I, you know, say that, I try not to judge other people who um, might be doing something that I think that is shady like I did. Right. Because we don't un we have to take a beat and recognize that they're also under influences themselves. And so, for example, when I started, you know, left corporate American branding and I wanted to wake people up to like how we were using our technology was going to make them unwell. It was genuinely my motivation was pure and true. But then I ended up recreating the same wheel because I grew up under, you know, a career of hustle culture and achievement and uh, the girl boss world. Right. So I recreated the same thing again. So I was one of those people. I was trying to fix a problem. And instead of, you know, being a solution, I just became a cog in the machine. And it wasn't until I saw all those other layers of cultural influence above me that I was able to see that like it's so much bigger than me right like we end up kind of doing the bidding of these societal structures or businesses you know i kind of think of you know corporations as a huge giant structure now in america it's a little unavoidable the way that it is um but we're operating from a place of like 
having drank the Kool-Aid for so long, we don't even realize that we're, we're recreating the problem, right? That we're doing their bidding for them. And what's the Kool-Aid? When you say the Kool-Aid, what are you referring to? Well, the idea that we should be consuming all the time, you have to go to college, you have to get married, you have to breed by a certain age. They're just up until very recently, and this is one of the positive things about the internet, is they were just accepted almost as fact. And then you operate on that conveyor belt of buying into college or marriage or the big house with the mortgage just because everybody else is doing it. And so I just think we're at a really interesting time right now where people are starting to understand that maybe all this stuff that's been you know, share is normal or sold to us is not best for us, right? And we're the ones who are suffering trying to buy a $99 wellness course on meditation because we're so fucking fried. I love that you call it Munchausen by capitalism. <laughs> I really fought to keep that in there. Um, it made a lot of people uncomfortable, but I can't think of it any other way. No, nor should you. Munchausen by capitalism. I, I, in my book, I sent you pictures last night of me marking up this book. And I, I, I just did a lot of exclamation points and then a fuck yeah, look there. Because that. It is. And you also write right before that, in our promotional and brand saturated society, we have a problem. Well, we have many, but the one I'm addressing now is how we've become so accustomed to living in a world where, constant, where we are constantly being told or sold that we no longer think it's odd. We don't. This feels so normal, right? It feels so normal to be sold to on a daily basis that we don't stop and think, hey, right? I, no, I don't need those $99 moisture wicking leggings for the jogging that I never do. <laughs> and I don't need to walk down the street and see 800 logos on my way to drop my kid off at school, right? Like it's so in our background now that it's just we see it as if it's, you know, a part of the trees. It's a part of the landscape. And we're just kind of like being lulled into submission. And so I feel like this book is my you know, rebel call or whatever, where I just want people to get furious and like just start pushing back. I feel like we've hit that sort of glass ceiling moment where we could say, no, don't put ed tech in my schools that is sponsored by Google because the advertisers on the platform that are teaching kids, I mean, I don't know if you've seen this, where it's like spot the difference, right? And instead of it being, I don't know, nature or something about history, it's literally spot the difference in their logos, right? Oh, oh. who is allowing this? But it's, I, I always say that, like, who is the adult in the room? But our adults in the room are all being sponsored or paid or funded, right? And the problem then goes back to capitalism. It goes back to money. So the adults in the room need to not be sponsored, not be funded by somebody or lobbied. So that we can do the things that are really right for us, for our own health, for our society. But really, the whole reason I wrote this book is for the kids, because they don't know that it's not normal to have an iPad in their classroom that has logos on it to teach them how to spot the difference between two screens. Yeah, I, 
I don't love the screens in I have a six-year-old and he's the one that's in, in big kids school now. And it's a lot of screen time, man. It is a lot of screen time. And I I think about this a lot in terms of social media, also news. Like how will these kids ever understand the difference between being sold to and unbiased information? Yeah. And does that even exist anymore? And I think that we are in such a scary place that books like yours can help just to deprogram us a little bit because we have been so programmed to just mindlessly engage. And that's not to say, like, I also don't judge. Influencers need to make money because we do not live in a system that mostly pays women to do work and support their families. We have no safety net in this country. We are all just floundering. Even I'm floundering my way through this brave new world of how will I support my family for the next 30 years? And so I do not judge anyone for taking sponsorships or for becoming an influencer. What I do think is that it's up to us as the consumers to be aware of how we're being influenced and to teach children how to see influence. That's, that's what we have to do. I love what you talk about in the book where you talk about intrinsic motivations and extrinsic motivations. And so the intrinsic motivations, like what is making me feel happy? What is making me feel fulfilled and energetic? What matches up with my values and helps me feel connected with myself? And then the extrinsic ones, I'm doing this because someone asked me to. I'm not finding joy. I'm doing this to pay the bills. Or I would add, I'm just doing this because I'm not paying attention. I'm mindlessly, mindlessly doing this. And what I think that I would love people to take away is we should be asking ourselves every time we're consuming some kind of media, if it's aligning with those intrinsic motivations. Is it making us feel happy, fulfilled, energetic, or matching up with our values? I have a 12-year-old and a two-year-old, and I became totally addicted to, you know, internet culture and my phone and all the things, having had 25 years without it, right? I'm that mm -hmm. Gen X, like, you know, cross between before and after. And I could only think about, like, what does that mean for my kids, right? I had a whole life away from the shit and I still fell for it, even knowing what how it worked, right? And being one of the people who made it a problem. And so that's kind of where this came in is I would talk to my son Hayes about, you know, the difference between an advertisement and a piece of, you know, news or newspaper. Or I would talk to him about how advertisers were able to say, that those shoes are going to make him faster than his friends, but it's not true. And he didn't understand why could you say something that wasn't true? And so it was all these sort of conversations. And he said to me, Mom, you know these things and I know these things. Not that I'm some all-knowing asshole, but these were our values and our beliefs and things that I wanted to pass on to him. But he, he goes to me, the other adults don't know this. And now I'm the weirdo. And it was because we had these boundaries, like, you know, maybe I didn't let him have a cell phone or I didn't let him go on Fortnite. And I would say to him, different house, different rules, or these are not our values, or what are we trading, you know, by allowing this thing to enter our house? And he said, I don't want to be the weirdo. Can't you tell everybody else? 
And so that's why I wrote this book. That's why it started was really because of that conversation. And so it's not that, you know, I want people to feel that the sky is like falling. Everything's terrible. And I mean, it is. And everyone feels that way. But there's a reason for it. And I I believe I lay that out in the book. But by the end of it, right, I take the reader from under the influence to above the influence because I want them to know that they can like make trouble in their own life. They can break away from these sort of, you know, programming that we have. And then they can help write the wayward ship for these kids because this generation has no clue unless we teach them. And they're going to do whatever it is we show them is normal. And if we show them it's not normal and we start to talk about digital literacy and the culture of advertising, uh, now we have, you know, AI coming into it. It really comes back to like the same way you would talk to your kids about like sex, drugs, religion. Like we have to become super, super, super present in the real world with our communities to start to push back on these influences. Amen, sister. Sorry, I get on my pulpit. (laughs) You are great. Well, we know everything, everything can keep going. I was like when you were saying that I was I was I was picturing John Lithgow in Footloose. But instead of telling the kids they can't dance, he's telling the kids, we need to understand who fucking owns YouTube. Exactly. Exactly. Who's and 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 the loopholes that they've allowed the content creators. I mean, you know, these conversations are so I mean, first of all, that's a really rad compliment. And I'm going to go home and tell my husband that you said that. So, thank you. Yeah. you know, here's here's here, here's here's a creepy thing. If you go back and rewatch Footloose now, as I recently did, because it's a surprisingly tender movie for young boys to watch. The the relationship between Kevin Bacon and his friend Willard is very, very sweet. But uh, you're going to relate to John Lithgow and Diane Weist way more than you are the kids. Now I know what I'm going to be watching on uh, Pizza and Movie Night. Very tender, very tender movie. I have to tell you, we're, we're gonna t- we're gonna take a break here, uh, <laughs> and when we get back, we're going to talk about what we can be doing, how we can be solving this problem, because that should be, I think, our mission. We should say no less than it is our job to solve this for the kids. Hundred percent agree with you, and I'm excited to talk about that. Two things are very true about me. I do not like to grocery shop, and I want someone else to make decisions for me whenever possible. And this is because I have three kids, and I'm tired, and I work a lot. And that is why I am very, very into HelloFresh right now. HelloFresh makes it easy to make mealtime more fun, more exciting, and just plain simpler for you. What I love the most is HelloFresh does all the shopping and meal planning for you. Ingredients arrive right at your doorstep, pre-portioned, ready to cook, along with step-by-step recipe cards. They are so easy that almost anyone in my house, except for the baby, can follow them. They take the hassle out of mealtime, but it also saves me money. Because when I'm tired and I don't want to cook and I don't want to grocery shop, I order takeout. And takeout is really expensive. HelloFresh is usually much cheaper than grocery shopping and about 25% less expensive than takeout which means there is less stress and also more money in your pocket. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Terry Free, T-E-R-R-F-R-E-E, and use the code Terry Free for free breakfast. 
for life. Free breakfast for life. Who doesn't want free breakfast forever? I want free breakfast forever. I'm, I'm telling you, you are really, really going to like HelloFresh. They're America's number one meal kit for a reason. And we are back. We are back with Jessica Elefante. Is it Elefante? It is. Well, it depends on which parent of mine you talk to. They're they're um, divorced and one says it one way and one says it the other way. And I think it's just to poke at one another. But yes, I say it, Elefante. See, yeah, exa- well, I, I am very Italian-American, so I would say, I'm like, yeah, it's Elefante, right? Um, it rolled right off your tongue. I mean, it did. It did. Can, can you tell that I'm also the author of the soon-to-be best-selling book, The Sicilian Inheritance? Oh, I can't wait. It sounds like heaven right now. I'd like to be in Sicily. I know. I know. We're, we're actually, we're doing a big writing retreat next summer in Sicily, so... If I can, if I can do what I want to do with this book, which is get it in the hands of everyone I see reading Colleen Hoover books at the pool, then we can afford to bring amazing writers to Sicily and and get them together with amazing readers. So, that's... Um, you are a sales monster. Where do I sign up? I'm coming. I'm <laughs> coming. I'm a sales monster. I'll send. I'll send you the link, and I'm going to get you the, a book as soon as we as soon as we get off get off this interview. Thank you. But no, let's promote your book because this isn't about me, even though it's always about me. Your your book is Raising Hell, Living Well, Freedom from Influence in a World Where Everyone Wants Something from You. And before the break, we were talking about how we get sucked into the influence. And now I want to talk about how we get sucked out of it. What can we be doing? Yeah. So, I mean, the the first thing is to become aware of everything that's happening around us. And that's essentially like the entire first half of the book is I'm showing people not just like the things I grew up with and how it formed who I became, but also how I became an influencer and the tricks that I used, right, of, um, you know, corporate marketing budgets. Um, and then eventually how I kind of became a guru in this like new wellness space of digital well-being and how my motivations, though, intrinsic became extrinsic based off of, you know, being rewarded by corporations again. So again, you'll see a pattern. But the second half of the book is about how to come out from under. So um, I, you know, that awareness is really the key point. And if you stop there, I really think it's going to help people push back in their life. But if you continue, um, I get to this point in the book that's called Influential, where it's how you can you know, everyone has influence, right? You have influence in your own four walls, in the communities you exist in. Obviously, we all have megaphones now on our social media platforms. It's how you choose to use it. And not all influence is bad, right? So a stop sign is influential. It helps us not harm one another. Like you do need influence, but the 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 key is, is that it is good intentioned and that um, you're using it for, you know, good reasons. So you know, one of the things I talk about is like waking up to the influence that you already embody that you don't even realize. And once you know that you are influencing, whether it's your children or your neighbor or the people who follow you on social media, you're determining how you want to best utilize that influence. And I hope you choose to use it for good. Um, and then, you know, I, I the next way is to like pick a fight. Like, what is the thing that you really, really feel strongly about that you want to help change? and 
there are ways that the internet has been absolutely incredible. You know, I talk about like these sort of like Google Doc activism and how social media is used to get people to organize. But a lot of these things, if they remain just in the online spheres, they kind of, well, they make a lot of change in that moment that we can use it for an even greater um, ability to make the change that we want by reconnecting offline. So I, I, I challenge people to say, okay, this might not be going away. We can push back on how we're using it. We're not going to keep this as like an accepted norm. Really critically thinking about what are we trading by bringing these things into our lives, what's lost, and then using our influence for good to push back on those things. How do you go about your day so that you do kind of less harm, less harm to yourself and less harm to others? Well, the, Bryn, you're catching me at a really um, ironic time because I do have to publicize this book, right? I have to promote it if I want people to read it. It has to cut through the noise. And so people have asked, they're like, what do you do? Like, how do you do this? You're talking about not being persuaded, but you have to persuade people to buy the book, which is makes you want to die a little inside. But also I know how much work I put into this and how proud I am. And I hope how much how much positive influence it's going to have in the fight that I've chosen to pick. So I'm doing it. But, um, you know, I'd be lying if I'd say it's all perfect, right? I definitely now, as we're in the run up to the book release, find myself like on my phone at bedtime, which I didn't used to do before because I'm playing catch up because I want to be present with my kids. So there's certain boundaries that I won't um, cross. So like I don't have my phone out and I'm working from the couch while I'm sitting next to my kid after school and he's having a snack. Like I try to be leaned into wherever I am, especially with them. Um, and so it's not perfect right now. It's always been this way where it gets worse if I'm, you know, putting something out into the world. I know what comes with that, right? Like I have to be available and communicate, but I'm not doing it the way that people expect me to. So I told my publisher that like, I'm not going to be a talking head. I'm not recording like videos in the lead up to my book coming out. I'm not going to be a guru, right? Like the writing speaks for itself. I will do podcast interviews without video. Um, I will write. I will send snail mail in the mail because I love snail mail and I really believe in that personal connection. But I'm not going to be doing, um, you know, Reddit AMAs and digital, all these things that we know help sell books. So they probably want to kill me a little bit. But also it's kind of that I'm walking the walk and talking the talk where I meet people in a digital space, but I try very quickly to move it to an offline connection. I give people my cell phone. We talk on the phone. We meet for coffee because that's how I think this technology should be used. And then for media, you know, I am finding I'm not I'm the person that if I can't set the boundary and keep it, I opt out completely. So the more that Netflix vies for my attention and doesn't automatically shut off and gives me too many choices and I feel like I can't be intentional where I'm only going to watch the bear because he's so sexy and it makes me think of working in a bar again. But then I, I'm getting a million other things, you know, shoved down my throat. I'll just stop. I'll just turn the TV off and walk away. Um, so I, I think that kind of answers your question. I, I, I'm not perfect by any means, and it's getting harder. It's getting a lot harder as the Internet is and media is becoming more invasive and fractured because they're losing 
their revenue streams as the algorithms change and people become exhausted. Totally, totally. And I love that you said you're not perfect and we're all just struggling to figure this out every day. It was it was very interesting for me. I was reading your book after I started reading it while the kids were doing their homework last night. And like you, if I'm sitting with them and they're doing their homework, I try not to be on my phone or staring at my phone. When my husband does it, I hate him a little. Um, yeah. And I still haven't figured out a good way to tell him to get the F off his phone because I say get the F off your phone and then we get into a fight. Yeah. But I feel okay reading a book while they're doing their homework because it's boring. I don't, I'm not, I help them, but they don't need a lot of help and I'm bored. But reading a book, I feel like I'm modeling of reading course. to them. Yes. And it's a physical media, right? And, and that's one of the things I guess I should say about media and mediums is it, it makes a difference on what device you're consuming it on. And so reading a book is much better for our brains cognitively and our memory of what we consumed than on a device. So the same could be said for their homework, right? Like if they're telling the kids to write an essay, you know, by doing it on their iPad, but you know pen and paper is better. These are the choices, the little swaps that you can start making. But really quick, Joe, don't tell your husband that you want to fucking kill him even though you want to. Make it I do want to. Yeah. Make it about you. So say, be like, I notice I'm doing this around the kids and I don't like the, the way that it's feeling. And I was hoping you could join me and let's have a reset this weekend. Make it about you. Lie. Fine. <laughs> I will. You're a better person than I am. But no, I'm just more persuasive. I you know. Are. You I are. You are. No, that's going to shut him down instantly. He's in his head. He's like, go fuck yourself. And now I'm going to double down on it. So the only way to really do make changes in people is to have them arrive there kind of on their own through an invitation and never shame anyone, even uh, though you're shaming them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's way less fun, right? Totally. Totally. And harder, to be honest. It's harder. Yeah, you want to let that fuck it flag fly. All the time. All the time. But as I was reading your book and I wanted to, I want to support you. I want people to buy this book. So I immediately wanted to take pictures of it and post it and also talk to you about it. But the nice thing is that you wrote me a handwritten note that was folded up like a middle school note, which I really appreciated. I wish we could pass notes all the time. I love notes. And you also gave me your cell phone number. So while I did have to pick up my phone, instead of going on an app and messaging you through Instagram, I could text you, which was really nice. It was really nice just to text you pictures um, of what I was underlining in your book. We're constantly being pulled in the direction of that because of the things that we want to accomplish professionally. I say this all the time. If I didn't genuinely want to share my books with readers, I want to connect with readers. I want other awesome authors like you to connect with readers. I would get off social media, but that's now genuinely the best way to do it. Of course. Of course, because that's where you got to fish where the fish are. That's where everybody is. That's where they're spending their time. And no one should feel guilty about that. We've all been trained to do this. Literally, there's scientists and engineers and biologists who are brought into these companies to figure out at the exact moment you're going to set your phone down or you're going to close an app to keep you back on. Like our, our 
our innate being is being used against us. So it's nobody's fault. It's their fault. It's not our fault. I, li- I like blaming someone else. Yeah, me too. I really do. Especially I really do. Man, damn the man. Damn. Damn the billionaires. I love <laughs> blaming rich men. Me too. <laughs> oh. Um, but I just want to say, so like for social media, it's like, how can you use it right, right in a way that is better for you and for everyone? And so for me, it's to take, like I said, those connections offline as quickly as possible and create a real connection in some way. Not that those aren't connections, but they're they're sh- more shallow, like surface mm-hmm. level, right? And so the people that I am inspired by or the people that I you know, want to help with research for my book or the people who just genuinely like want to share that, you know, reading my words has changed their life. Like those are deeper, right? And more mm-hmm. thoughtful. And one of the problems I have with the digital world and social media in particular is everything has become very easy to spout off um, and the first thought that comes to your mind and hide behind it too. And so when I thought about this book coming out in the world, I write, you know, you know like very truthfully in it. And there's going to be stuff that people aren't going to like. I'm, of course, you're never going to please anyone, everyone. And I was like, okay, I know I need to be on social media and I want to hear what people have to say, but I get to a very dark place when I am taking on constant communication from others, right? Mm -hmm. It pulls me away from myself, my kids, the present moment, the world. So I was like, how can I do this where it's a balance? It's not that I don't want the feedback or I don't want the connection. So what I've done is I've set up um, a PO box and any of my Substacks comments are off unless, you know, you are a subscriber. So I know your name there. The reason that's important is because you're not going to say something wicked shitty to me on the Internet if I know who you are. Right. Mm. And if you really have something that you need to share with me, I am totally open to hearing your feedback. If you have taken the time to sit with it, write it down, put a stamp on it, put it in the mail and send it to me. It's taking that instant sort of verbal diarrhea or hate or instant reaction, right, to allow the person to sit with it for a little minute. And then I will read what you have to say. And so it's very different. I know a couple other authors who've done it, but that's my boundary. And I'm hoping it works. (laughs) We love that boundary. That's a good boundary. And I think that that's great advice, too. It's that we have to give ourselves boundaries. We have agency. We have to remember that, that we have agency, that we get to choose how and when we consume these things. And it's up to us. So it's just questioning, like, where these accepted sort of norms or ideas come from and setting the boundary of what works best for us. 